our teaching this morning. Lord God, again, you brought us all here this morning for a reason. Lord, you ordained this, this time, this exact moment for everyone to, to get something out of this message, Lord. I ask that you open our ears and our hearts to what you want to show us, Lord, on this important topic that we're going to cover. Lord, it is a difficult one. It is a hard one. But it's a message that needs to be said nonetheless, Lord. And I just ask that you, that you bless it. Again, as you reveal your truth and your love and your grace to us, as we learn about this issue of divorce, Lord. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, during our vacation, uh, Robin and I had the opportunity to watch that Netflix series, The Crown. I don't know if you guys have checked it out, have seen it, or have heard about it. Um, I, I know it had been out for a couple months, but um, we were really, I, well, I was really interested, and we were doing the drive back home, and and uh, we were like, hey, we have some time to kill, um, so let's just continue watching the series. So it's a really, I, I'm a big history buff. I really like history. I really like um, world history, American history. But um, the monarchy, the English monarchy, English government, um, was something I was never really familiar with. And, and what this show helped to do was to help me understand a little bit more um, what things were like, how English government is run, uh, or how that government is run over there in, in England. But in that series, one of the biggest issues that caused the most problems was um, for the church, for the government, and for the monarchy, monarchy itself was the issue of divorce. You know, uh, Queen Elizabeth, the, the current queen there, her uncle had to abdicate his throne to his brother, which was her dad, because he wanted to marry a woman that had been twice divorced. And the church and the government wouldn't allow it, and so he had to abdicate his throne to King George, uh, Elizabeth's father. And then also later on, when Queen Elizabeth, when she became queen, her sister, Princess Margaret, also had to give up a relationship and engagement to the man she loved because he already had a prior divorce. Um, it really impacted that family big time. Um, there was a lot of strain, a lot of relationships um, were strained because of it. Um, but because Queen Elizabeth was considered the governor of the church of it, is the, the, whoever the monarch is, the queen, the king, whoever it may be, is considered the governor of the Church of England, um, they're the ones who have to enforce church laws. So if that church law says that no prior monarch or princess or whatever can, um, can marry someone who's been divorced, um, whatever the rules are, they have to enforce it, whether it's family or not. And during that time, the population was really supporting Princess Margaret's engagement. Even though there was a church was against it and, and all that stuff, um, the population was really supporting them. Unfortunately, um, as I said, Margaret had to step in. Even though she was supportive, initially supportive of her sister in this relationship, she had to do what was right, uh, not only for in the church's eyes, but for the, for the monarchy itself, for the crown. Um, and it was just like I said, it was a big, it was a big issue that the, this issue with divorce. It's always, it always has been. Also, more personally, as I was preparing this morning's message, this topic hit pretty close to home because of how close Robin and I were at one time, close to divorcing. Um, I won't really get into it, but I mean, it got so close that papers were actually drawn, um, and even you know signatures were were made, but. The Lord intervened, and um, they just were never submitted. 
And I really thank the Lord that just that, that didn't happen, that he intervened. Um, and I just think, again, life just would be different right now if that would have happened. But although I was a backsliding Christian at, during that time, I never considered the personal and spiritual ramifications that a divorce would have caused us and the kids. Now, looking back now in light of what I've, what I've prepared to share with you, I hope you can see, hope you see what it took many years for me to discover. And that is that God hates divorce. God hates it and never intended for marriage to end that way. Now, this message is also a good lesson for all you young men um, who one day desire, desire to aspire to marry. Um, you know, we all have stories, prior relationships, um, whatever it may be that you guys can learn from. Um, but this message is also, I think, important if one day you also want to marry. And um, you want to make sure you marry the right person, um, have the, you know, and, and just know what really God wants, what really God desires. So this morning's message is, sir, is primarily deals with the topic of divorce. Now, those of you watching, if, if, if you're here and, and you've been through it or you know someone that's been through it, um, it's a really difficult and hard subject, as I, as I mentioned. Um, but the other thing I, I want you to know that, you know, I'm going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and, and it's very easy to kind of just skip over these certain uncomfortable things, uh, certain uncomfortable chapters, but... Um, Again, I wouldn't be faithful to the text and faithful to the Word of God, and that's my desire and my heart to, to always be, to always be uh, um, faithful to what, it, to what it says. Although we're going to touch on some other aspects, including what God intended for marriage, our main focus will be on the issue of divorce. Now, because, again, of the weight and the importance of this topic, it may be a tad bit longer considering the current views of marriage and divorce. It's a mess, but it's a message that needs to be heard. It's a message that needs to be understood. So this morning, please open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and follow along as I, as I begin reading from chapter 1, um, from verse 1. What I'm going to do is read the entire passage and then throughout my teaching here, I'm going to read bits and pieces of it. So it's going to be on page 588, I believe it is, on those 558 on the, on the Bibles there in front of you. Um, so we're again, we're in Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. He set out from there and went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Then crowds converged on him again, and as he usually did, he began teaching them once more. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He replied to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Now in the house of the disciples, now in the house, the disciples questioned him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. It should come to no surprise that chapter 10 begins with a familiar introduction, a general geographic location of where the story takes place. Now, um, from what we see here is that Jesus and his disciples are now moving their way southward. Um, eventually, they're going to end up in Jerusalem, 
where the major events of Jesus' last days take place. But now they're making their way southward, and this is pretty much the area where this particular story takes place. Also in chapter 10, and as we move forward in chapter 10, um, they're also going to be more concise messages and, um, that Jesus wants to give. Um, I think we're going to spend a few weeks in chapter 10. Um, from what I see, I was going to try to cover more, but um, I think you know these, these verses that we are covering uh, should suffice, and we'll be covering a little bit more next week. But again, this is the general geographic location. Another thing that, we're f- that this um, chapter begins with is some, another familiar topic or another familiar introduction is that uh, we see crowds of people gathering around Jesus um, to hear him teach. And also um, a group of religious leaders looking for an opportunity to create controversy. And we've already seen that. It's happened a few times in our previous chapters. So by this time, I doubt that Jesus was caught off guard when the Pharisees approached him with a purposely formulated question intended to discredit him and his teachings. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They were looking to find out how well he knew the law regarding divorce his opinion about divorce, and whether he would contradict himself. You see, a simple yes or no answer would have boxed Jesus into a controversial and endless debate regarding the interpretation of Jewish law. Now, what the Pharisees were referring to was from Leviticus 21.7, where it says, They are not to marry a woman defiled by prostitution. They are, not to marry a divo- they are not to marry one divorced by her husband, for the priest is holy to his, own God, to his God. On its own, this verse could be taken as a general blanket requirement for everyone. However, which, which is what the Pharisees were attempting to do, which, which they were doing when they asked Jesus about it. However, when taken into context with what um, Leviticus 21.7, what it says before and afterwards, this verse, this verse was speaking specifically to Jewish priests, to the priests that um, served at the temple. Well, I believe that Jesus knew exactly what these Pharisees were trying to do. And instead of giving them an answer they were ready to argue against, he wisely and indistinctly flips it, flips it back onto them and then he says, he replies to them, well, what did Moses command you? In other words, now, Jesus, Jesus was saying, as priests, what did Moses tell you to do? Now, if you're able to catch it, what Jesus is doing here is asking a double-edged question. He was asking them, what was the requirement for themselves? And what were they required to do for the people? Unfortunately, their response revealed the extent which they used the cut-and-paste method of interpretation and applying it to, to the scriptures. They said, Moses permitted us to write divorce papers and send her away. Now here, they were referring to Deuteronomy 24.1 that says, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him, because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Now this passage directly deals with how the priests were to handle divorce between a man and a woman among the regular Jewish people. So in order to put all this together, what they were doing was cutting from Leviticus and pasting it to Deuteronomy and making it applicable to everyone, including themselves. Now, regrettably, this cut and paste method of preaching and teaching the Bible is still a common practice today within many churches. And as a result, uh, this can be seen in how little American Christians today know about what the Bible actually says and what it teaches. And that's commonly referred to just biblical illiteracy. 
You know, people come out of their Sunday morning services believing something that is absolutely misleading and inaccurate. In my experiences, when I've spoken to um, coworkers or, or other people that have gone to other churches in the city, you know, for, for several years, and I've asked them, hey, what did you learn about that passage? Or what did you learn about that book? Or what did you learn about that character? You know, I find myself sometimes shocked at, at some of the things they tell me, you know, because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't line up with what the Bible actually says. You know, and it, that's why just understanding and knowing and being in a church that actually teaches the Bible is so important. You know, so many churches out there, and it does, it, it grieves me. It's just a lot of fluff. There's just a lot of show, a lot of, you know, I guess, you know, it's like a big Disney show. And, and, and again, if, for some people, that's, that may be fine. But I'm the kind of person, and I want to encourage people that it's not really about that. It's just being inundated, being, you know, just learning the Word of God. I think that's what really matters. That like God wants to teach you His Word. He wants to teach you everything about Himself. Now, I, I want to challenge you on something. Next time you visit another church, when you do go to another church, I want to challenge you to mentally engage with a passage in conjunction with its teaching. I want to, again, challenge you to just listen carefully. If the pastor is is cutting and pasting to teach something that contradicts the character and the nature of God and His Word. Whatever verse or passage that pastor is, is using, listen to see if, he's, if he is taking it out of context of what it says before and after. My personal desire as the pastor and teacher of Fresh Vision Church is to, it will always be to teach what the Bible says and to say what the Bible teaches. Now, yes, within my teachings, I may use other verses from different books of the Old and New Testament as references or further evidence of the truth, of its truth. But I will never use that cut and paste method to make you believe something that isn't true or to fit a personal agenda of mine. I absolutely believe in the importance of being biblically accurate and take serious the responsibility that comes along with teaching it. Every person, regardless of what church denomination, if whatever, every person that opens up this book, even if it's in a small Bible study and, has it and, and teaches out of it, ought to have that same desire to, to make sure that what they're teaching is accurate. Listen to, that war- to listen to the warning found in James 3.1. It says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. Again, God wants us to take His word serious. And if, we were mes- if, if me or someone or anybody is misrepresenting, it, misrepresenting what God says, then again, man, I... Uh, I wouldn't want to face that kind of judgment from God. You know, again, that's why I take this responsibility very serious. So, okay, moving on, let's find out what, uh, what Jesus tells them. In verse 9, in verse 5, he says, um, Jesus told them, He wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. In verses 5 through 9, Jesus begins to explain three important facts. Why God allowed divorce. What God intended for marriage to be, and God's function and role within, within marriage. Verse five, in verse 5, Jesus explains why God allowed divorce. 
he basically tells them it was because of the pride and stubbornness of man's heart. The pride that says, I can handle my marital problems on my own. I don't need God's help. Now this is the type of pride that hardens the heart within. And it's the stubbornness that says, I don't care what God says, I'm going to do things my way. This is also the type of stubbornness that hardens the heart within, within marriage. Jesus here is not only speaking to the Pharisees, but he's also speaking to the crowds listening and watching, and to us who are reading th these words. God didn't allow divorce because he was all of a sudden okay with it. He allowed it because of what he knew about us. He knew that unless man completely surrenders to his will, man would have a difficult time being satisfied with what he has to offer. And in this particular case, a wife or a husband. Now we live in a culture today where divorce is more or less regarded as the end of a contractual agreement rather than the breaking of a covenant. It's so easy nowadays and people have any excuse to um, get a divorce. I mean, I've even heard of places that have drive-through divorces. You know, there are lawyers, you know, lawyers make a, a ton of money, you know, just to, you know, with being divorce lawyers. You know, and again, it's just seen as something, you know, people get into marriage saying, you know, I guess if it doesn't work out, can always, you know, divorce, it's no big deal. And they don't see it again as a breaking of a covenant. According to the most recent statistic, and I got this from the CDC website, in 2014, there were 813 divorces or annulments in the U.S. Now, that has, it, there has been a decline in divorces, but that equals out to an average of about 3.2 people per, or 3.2 per 1,000 people. Now, the most common reason for divorce is the lack of commitment, and that's 73%. The second most common reason is arguing too much. That's at 56%. And surprisingly, you know, I thought this would be on the top of the list, but if in, in, infidelity is the third most common reason, 55%. Now, these statistics reinforce Philippians 2.21 that says, all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Now, what are the interests of Jesus Christ? That we trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not... And it says, do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you on the right paths. Now, I want to be clear. The Bible is clear about certain circumstances where divorce is allowable. However, allowable doesn't always mean necessary. Every situation is unique, and therefore must be seen that way. It must be seen and understood that way. Even though it may be right for one couple, even though it may be right for one person, doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. That's why it's important that each person seek God before making that decision to break off a marriage. Now in verses 6 through 9, Jesus explains what God intended marriage to be. First, he distinctly says, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Speaking about marriage, because this is the context in which we're, we're talking about here. Jesus makes it clear that God, that God made man for woman and woman for man. Now, I know that... Um, our society has different interpretations of it. Our government has, has enacted laws that have changed that definition. But it's important that we don't confuse what our culture says about marriage and what God says. God is clear that man, he created man for woman and woman for man, not man for man 
or woman for woman. Now again, we live in a society where there's all kinds of definitions of who a person, what a person identifies as. You know, you have a cisgender and, you know, all kinds of cis and then you have transgender. You know, there's all kinds of definitions, but really, again, what it comes down to is what God created that person to be. He created that person from the woman. And I, this, I, I don't mean to get into another teaching here because this is another, I guess, you know, rabbit trail one can get into. But we need to understand what it says here. That marriage, the way God intended marriage to be, was between a man and a woman. And we can't allow ourselves to be confused about what our culture says and what, what God says. This nation can enact laws that go against God's purposes, designs, but the truth about what God instituted will always be the same. In God's eyes, marriage was created to be between a man and a woman. And secondly, Jesus explains the beauty that occurs within a marriage. An individual will, be, will, remove, themselves, will remove themselves from the care and protection of the parents and be joined to his wife. In other words, they have matured and become responsible enough to leave their home and begin a new one for themselves. When they are joined together, Jesus says, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. You see, they cease. They cease to become individuals. They cease to become individual entities and are united physically and spiritually. The word me in a marriage is replaced with us and we instead of I. Now this is the glory and beauty that God sees when man and women are when a, when a man and woman are married and become intimate with one another. God doesn't want people sharing this experience with anybody else, but that that but that person they intended they were they intended to be committed to. This is why it's so important that we teach our kids to abstain from sex until marriage because of what God, the beauty that God designed for it. And I know that it's difficult. I know that it's hard as teenagers, as, as young men, as young women, um, that flesh, those hormones, they just, they're acting up. But if we can just, you know, allow ourselves to surrender to God and just understand and hold on to the promise that He has someone special waiting for us, it'll make it all worthwhile. And again, he's going to bless it, whoever that person, whoever that person may be. But again, we have to see this in what, in, in the light of what, what Scripture says and what God says, and what he got, what he wants for you. Now, going back to verse nine, Jesus explains God's role in marriage by saying, "Therefore, what God has joined together, man may not separate." Now, that verse is commonly used during marriage vows. And again, it's a very, very important verse. When two people come together before God in holy matrimony, it's He who binds them together. It's His power, His glory, His majesty that binds these two people together. He essentially says, I'm joining the both of you together regardless of the circumstances that brought you here, that brought you to this point. You know, I, I, and I know, I understand there's a lot of marriages th that happen because there's pregnancy, because there's, you know, issues or things going on. Um, you know, my, my wife and I, we got married really young, and, and we, you know, we had our own issues. We had our own, you know, um, things going on. And, and, but, again, regardless of whatever those issues were, he brought us, he brought us there. And he joined us together. Because I honestly believe that if it wasn't God's will, if it wasn't part of God's plan, it wouldn't have happened. That's how much I trust and believe in, in God's sovereignty, in God's, that God is in control, 
yes, we have choices and we make decisions and we, you know, we can decide, but at the end of the day, again, he allows things to happen. He, you know, he's in control. So when he says man must not separate, he means that he means anyone that is making a deliberate deliberate effort to break off that union, whether by word or by deed. Again, I've talked to people and I've that have told me, you know what, my friends have told me not, you know, to divorce this person. Um, they found someone better. Even I've ever even heard of parents saying that they don't want that, you know, their son or daughter to be married to this person or interfering purposely just to cause issues and problems. But he says man must, man must not separate. Again, he binds them together. I love what Pastor David Guzik wrote. He's, he wrote this. In using the terms joined together and separate, Jesus reminded us that divorce is really like an amputation. Sometimes in the most extreme circumstances, amputations may be the right thing to do. But the patient must first have a diagnosis worthy of such an extreme solution. Now, when he was alone with his disciples, Jesus clarifies his point. He says in verses 10 to 12, Now in the house, the disciples questioned him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and remarries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Here, Jesus couldn't be clearer about the subject of divorce and remarriage. Jesus already made it clear that in the case of adultery, God has permitted, God has um, permitted divorce. It's permissible. Now, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, Paul added abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. What he's clarifying to his disciples that is that divorce is, is divorce based on other grounds. For example, irreconcilable differences, falling out of love, fighting too much. These issues and any other trivial issues, trivial, trivial issues, this is what he's talking about. You know, I mean, you know, even I've even heard of excuses, though she didn't know how to cook and she didn't know how to clean or, you know, he was lazy or whatever. Um, these issues is what he's talking about. the issue of divorce and remarriage. But I want to talk, talk about, real quick, about a topic that, again, is very important that, that I think that uh, needs to be addressed. And that's the topic of physical abuse. What about physical abuse? Should a person divorce someone who is being physically abusive? Now, there's nothing in Scripture that says that divorce is warranted. Some would even, I mean, I've even heard of people, of, of pastors and, and teachers and scholars using 1 Corinthians, the, the verse about abandonment as a justification, as a reason for divorce um, because of physical abuse. However, even that is, I mean, it, it's very broad. I mean, they're being really... Um, liberal when it comes to when it comes to using that verse again there's nothing in scripture that says that, div that divorce is warranted however there is nothing that says a, a spouse needs to endure being brutalized now I'm not just talking about women but I'm also I know there are statistics out there that say that men are also um, victims of, of physical abuse spousal abuse But again, there's nothing that says a spouse needs to endure being brutalized. Now, in extreme circumstances such as this, extreme measures like separation, even celibacy within a marriage may be necessary. Me, I personally believe that a victim of abuse should get a f as far away as possible, especially when children are in the picture. Legal measures should be taken and spiritual counsel ought to be sought. It, it breaks my heart when I hear these news stories, 
these horrible news stories about a child or a spouse dying in the hands of a father, in the hands of a, uh, of a mother, a, a parent, or a wife or a husband being murdered because of abuse. It's sad. And really coming from a background where that was an issue in my own family life, and, and I'm talking about really early on when I was little, I feel very strongly about it. But still, spiritual counsel ought to be taken. However, I want to reiterate what the Bible is clear when divorce, when divorce is permissible. And if divorce do, does occur due to physical abuse, this passage does not justify remarriage. Again, it's important that every situation be seen uniquely from others and that spiritual counsel be taken. Again, this is uh, one of those weighty subjects that, again, we need to pray about, we need to understand, we need to, 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 to seek counsel about. But again, it doesn't give you, you can run away, you can, I mean, I would suggest to just get it far away, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't give you a free ticket to just remarry anybody. Verses 1 through 10 and Matthew's account in chapter 19 about this passage speak specifically on the topic of divorce. But I want to encourage you to also consider everything the Bible says about the topic. When it comes to divorce, the bottom line is this. God hates it. Listen to what it says in Malachi 2.16. And this is from the New King James Version. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one garment, one's garment with violence, says the Lord, of horse, the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit what you do. I'm sorry. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. So what about the Christian who is currently divorced or, or remarried? For those who are currently divorced, I suggest this. I suggest this, if possible. Forgive, ask for forgiveness, and make an effort to reconcile. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.10, I command the married, not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to leave or, uh, or divorce her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. And essentially, he says the same thing regarding the husband. It also says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. If there's something that person that you've divorced, that has divorced you, or you've divorced, if that person has done something against you, just like any other person that has wronged you, Make the effort to ask for forgiveness. And make the effort also just to forgive that person. It'll free you from so much conviction, so much weight. I know it, I know it hurts, and I know that some of the harms out there have been, have been unbearable. But again, we have to think about what God wants to do and what, what, what Jesus has asked of us, and that's to forgive others, to love others. We have to remember again all the wrongs that we've done against God. And nothing a per, another person has done to us compares to the violations, to the sins we've committed against God. So again, if that's the situation you're in, ask for forgiveness, forgive, and, um, and reconcile if possible. Now the other option, and this is another suggestion, is stay as you, stay as you are and don't remarry. I think that's what we've seen already in some of the passages I've described. 
It also says in 1 Corinthians 7.20, each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. If you don't have to remarry, don't remarry. You know, obviously, again, you know, each situation is different. Um, but again, that's what I suggest. Don't, you know, stay as you are and don't remarry. Now, for those who are remarried, I suggest this. Love, respect, and treat him or her as though she were, were fir the first and only wife or husband in your life. As though she were the only one, as he were the only one you ever married. Have that love and respect. And apply every single biblical principle of marriage to him or her. Like Ephesians 5.33 where it says, Each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Again, the past. I mean, there are a lot of things we've done in the past, a lot of relationships we've been in the past that, that you know, again, that we can't go back to them. But we have to understand the situation we're in and just appreciate it and thank God that we have someone that loves us and we have, that He's given us someone to take care of. Love that person. Love that man or woman as though, they, as though she or he were your first and only wife or husband. Still though, I say this, if you find yourself in a situation where you feel a sense of conviction, ask God for forgiveness. And he will freely, ex and he will f freely accept that forgiveness. I'm sorry, let me repeat that. If you find yourself in a situation and feel a sense of conviction, ask God for forgiveness. And freely accept the forgiveness he offers you through his son, Jesus Christ. See, God doesn't want you to live in bondage, in the bondage of sin, in the bondage of guilt, remorse. He doesn't want you to live that way. It's never too late to live your life dedicated to serving and pleasing Him. If you've messed up in previous marriages, it's never too late to redeem yourself and make the marriage you're in or the relationship, or the actually the marriage you're in, a godly marriage. Again, He wants to forgive you. You shouldn't have to feel convicted. It's, it's all done. He, he forgave you for all your sins there on the cross. He nailed it there on the cross. His blood, his blood was shed for you and for me. And we don't have to live under that conviction anymore. Now the reason God is so adamantly against divorce is the same reason he passionately supports marriage. It's a representation of the relationship between himself and us when the Holy Spirit unites us together with him by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells, tells us that we are his and he is in us. And anything that we allow to interfere with that relationship is idolatry and is like committing spiritual adultery. It's important, therefore, that we look at our relationship with Him in this way because it'll help us recognize when we're on the, vor on the verge of divorcing ourselves from Him. God wants us to have a spiritual marriage relationship, or God wants to have a spiritual marriage relationship with you. It's never too late to begin one or reconcile yourself back to him our message this morning is so profound and I think it's so important especially in the in a day and age we live in today where just divorce is so rampant and so easily um, handed out and given or received and it grieves it grieves God however there's redemption, there's forgiveness, and He wants to offer that to you. 
So again, I just, I, you know, I ask that you really just consider these things, especially when those issues and, and, and problems come along in the marriage. And those thoughts start bubbling up in the head, in the mind. You know what, it's just easier to just divorce this person and, and wash my hands clean and, you know, it, it, it does. You know, we see here that it just, it does. It, it grieves God. So again, I just, I ask that you, that if you know somebody, if you, you know, again, just count, share with them these words and share with them what, what we're, what Jesus says here about, um, about the issue. Again, I don't know where everyone's at here this morning and, and whether that conviction is there, whether they still feel guilty about But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to be closing us up in prayer and, and I just, you know, spend some time asking God just to speak to your heart. And speak to him and just share with him whatever it is that's that's in there. And ask for forgiveness if you need to and and he will just accept that forgiveness from him. So right now I'm just gonna, you know, give us a minute of silence and ask God to and in that minute of silence you can ask God to just um just share with God whatever's in your heart. And then I'll I'll close this up in prayer. Lord God, you alone know exactly what's within those deep recesses, those deep rooms of our heart. You alone know our past, every single thing we've said or done. And right now, Lord, we ask that you forgive us. Forgive us for the wrongs that we've done to others, to our former spouses, to our current spouses, whatever the situation may be, Lord, to our children, even to family members, Lord. more importantly forgive us for sinning against you Lord we understand that you don't want us to live in continual conviction for the sins of our past Lord God, I just ask that if there is anybody here living that way, feeling that way, I ask that you just remove them, Lord. Give them the peace that they're looking for. May they receive that that free gift of forgiveness, Lord. May those burdens be lifted. And may they just finally walk in that 
joy that's been eluding them, Lord. We pray for our marriages, Lord, the marriages that win right now and, and those marriages that are of our friends and family members and ask that you just bless them, Lord. Show every man and woman where they've strayed, where they've gone wrong, Lord, and correct it, Lord. Show them what is necessary to fix those issues and problems, Lord. Lord, your desire is to bless our marriages. You've ordained them. You've joined them together for a reason. And that again is the blessings and, and to bless us and also to mature us as your followers, to help, help us become more Christ-like and help us become more um, be more like Jesus. Ultimately, that's what you're trying to do, Lord. But I do, I ask that you put your hand of protection over every couple that's here, every couple that's watching, every couple that's listening, Lord. And any troubled marriage, Lord, I just ask that they seek you. That they seek you for answers and that they seek the right people, Lord, to, to, to be able to counsel them on what they ought to do. And I do also pray for the youth that hasn't married yet and that one will one day marry. May they find, may you bring about, may you bring to them the right person, Lord. So that again, they just be able to love and cherish and respect that man or woman. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've given us here this morning, what, what you've done here, Lord. As difficult as, a, as it may be sometimes to hear messages like this, Lord, it's, we understand that it's necessary. But thank you, thank you nonetheless. Lord, may you just use us and in any way you see fit. Bless this time, this, this next time of fellowship, of us just sharing and uh, what's happening in our lives. And again, just bless this church, Lord. That we just always continually, always just do the right thing and teach your word faithfully. Thank you again. Protect everyone here. Watch over their families. And bless the rest of this week. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.